Uh, some of you probably can't begin to understand it. If you're out of the country for 40 years, it doesn't take long. Even when you get back to America, people will hear you talk for a little bit and they'll say, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> Something's going to come out where you're going to say, now that's just phrased odd or that's just an odd perspective. And of course, we still ha- hear that all the time in Germany. Or somebody say, um, how long have you been here after a sermon? I've been here 39 years. Oh, you see the shock on their face. How long did you think? I don't know, six, seven years. <laughs> so it's, you're just always going to be kind of odd. If you are a faith follower of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are basically our banner. Is that now we are to be holy sacrifices. It's going to be somewhat painful to follow Jesus Christ. And verse 2 says, we're not to be shaped or influenced by the culture of this world. We are to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. So I'm going to ask you at the outset the simple question. When was the last time you changed your mind? When your perspective was changed and you said to somebody, I'm sorry, now that I reflect on it, I'm thinking differently. That's what faith followers do. It says that, that we are constantly revising our mind. Does it line up with Scripture? Or am I influenced by my peer group, by my colleagues at work, by the latest ads from Amazon? What influences me mostly? And we should be lining up with Scripture. And I promise you at the outset that we are probably going to be stretched a little bit further than I normally would take takes the people there I'm taking a couple of routes to get to an endpoint that will not be a stretch. It will tie all into to this work and week and what we're doing in it, but it's most of it's a personal journey. So it will be partially uh, the tension that comes from me is German American. The cultural thing in Germany is odd that when you start with a conversation, here in America, what's the first word that, uh, the first question that men ask one another? What do you do? What do you do? And they'll answer, and generally, the second follow-up is somewhere along that line. If you don't know, you'll say, well, what does that profession pay annually? That's a legitimate question. Germany, you don't do that. Germans will not talk about finances. That is taboo. What the Germans talk about are marital, physical intimacy. That is legit. Here, that's taboo. You would never start here a conversation and say, so, how are you, you and your wife doing? And then go even further into that. Germans would, that's where they would start, and not the finances. So there, that's some of the tension already for me, knowing that, that there is a little bit of pushback from our German culture. Today, we are going to be talking about money. And I know before some of you shut me out and say, ah, television evangelist, he doesn't have a white suit, but he's going straight to the money thing. Well, that's kind of what Jesus did, and we'll get there, but it is going to be tough. Um, Some of the conversations that I've had about the financing are, Jesus taught us that the right hand shouldn't let the left hand know what they're giving. There should be an anonymous section to it, and that is true. Much like he says, if you're going to pray, go into your closet and anonymously pray. So does that mean we should not pray corporately in church? One does not exclude the other. So before we already automatically have the pushback and say, my finances are personal and don't talk about them. I know there will be some struggle 
there. If you read 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David calls the assembly together and he says, um, I've had a real dream for a while, and I want us to see if we cannot build a temple that would be worthy of our almighty God. Then if you go down in a couple of verses, he says, I personally, I did the math yesterday. He said, I personally gave, and just the gold alone, not the silver, he gave $6.5 billion U.S. dollars in our currency. That is crazy. But here he's publicly throwing a figure out there, and then on top of that, he gives silver and even more. But here's a man that actually, David, apple of God's eye. So we're not going to say, hey, that was wrong for you to do that. That's arrogant and that's just unspiritual. The Holy Spirit gave us that story. Jesus is the one that gave us the idea of that we're supposed to be hush-hush about it and not arrogant and pulling attraction to ourselves when we give. At the same time, he's the one that said to the disciples, see that woman over there? That one. Don't look, but over there. You know, she just gave two farthings. He actually told them how much she gave. If we thumb to the back of the Bible, then we come to the, to the 24 elders, and it tells us that they took everything that was of value to them, their crowns, everything, and they cast at the feet of Jesus. Finances are not out of bounds. If we do it in a humble spirit before the Lord Jesus Christ, led by his spirit, it isn't God-honoring thing. So with that as the parentheses, that is the first stretch, I'm telling you. Because I will, I'm not Dave Ramsey, but we are going to talk about some of those types, types of things as we go on. The second one is going to begin in Mark chapter 2. And it was two weeks ago that in my quiet time that I found this verse. Let me ask you this. Does, does uh, God have grandchildren? It's a rhetorical question. You got a 50-50 chance at this one. I was taught God doesn't have grandchildren. It's a personal faith or it's no faith. But in this particular passage I'm going to look at, it looks like we've got missions, secondary faith. And that's the stretch for me. I'll let you struggle with me. This is a story that's one of my favorites, simply because I've been there and I've always, when you get to Capernaum, Along the Sea of Galilee, you're going to look out and you're going to see the outlines of all the houses that were built. And you're going to look and say one of those was Jesus. Jesus lived here. Look at verse 1. And when he had returned to, this is Jesus, returned to Capernaum. After some days, it was reported that he was at home. He moves from away from his parents and now comes to Capernaum. And it's there that he's has some kind of a home. And while he's home, he's having, the next verse says that he has kind of a small party or house study. People come over and they're gathered and there's hardly any room for anybody more to get in this little dwelling. But then there's somebody in the village that is paralyzed. You know the story that they, four friends, gather this little uh, cot or stretcher and they carry him up. They can't get in, so they remove the roof. Did you know that's Jesus' house where this happened? He's not just a visitor. It's his own home. Uh, then I want you to look at verse, verse, verse 5. 
because here's where it gets nitty-gritty for me. And when Jesus saw their faith, who's the plural faith there? The four men. If you want to put the fifth one in there, okay, I'll go with that. But he saw plural faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That stretches me, and I even get goosebumps reading it. Because we talk about personal faith, but here's men that are carrying a stretcher, and because he sees their faith, he says that affects this man, and his faith has not even been discussed. Does that, does that pull you out? Uh, I think that that's probably the clearest picture of missions that I can see. What you do here, apparently, Christ sees it and says, Helmut, in a Schaffenberg, Germany, because of the faith of LifeBridge, I see your faith, son, your sins are forgiven you. Can you imagine that we get to be part of a stretcher bearer? We can be the ones that can take the broken, the marginalized, the outcast of our society, where there's no room for them anywhere else, and we can then take them in, and just because of our faith, something happens so that they know what forgiveness is. That stretches me huge. Apparently, there is some form of secondary faith. And what we do here today plays a big role in that. New for me. So today, I would like you to take you to mainly two verses. We're going to start in Luke. Luke's Gospel. And go to chapter 12. And I'm going to jump into this, this story. Jesus, the storyteller, is going to tell us. We're going to begin in verse 16. Grandpa needs more light. Don't laugh. This is, this is how it turns out for you. <laughs> Only the people under 50 were laughing, snickering at that. So... It's not pretty, folks. This is, this is what happens. I don't think that's right. I seriously don't think that's right. Or it's too small. Yeah, it is verse 16. And he told them a story or a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. The bank called and said, I'm sorry, your account is so big, we can't even handle it anymore. You're going to have to make arrangements. I've not received any phone calls like that. <laughs> and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And here's the kicker what Jesus says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
life priorities. And so as Debbie and I come to the stage of what does the future hold for us and what does it look like, the one word that has just encaptured me is the term legacy. There are only two passions I have in all of life. Number one is my personal family. That's my kids and my grandchildren, as well as, of course, Debbie is in that. And the second one is church planting. All I live for since I've been 17 years old. Even though I was terribly disappointed in my younger teenager years, I've come to see that is how Jesus decided, this is my strategy to reach the nations. It's the church. And so therefore, if it's good enough for the man that rose from the grave, it's good enough for me. I'll just buy in. And that legacy. And so what does that look like? How are we going to invest heavily in our children or in our grandchildren? So we're actually being not just willy-nilly about it. We're actually trying to be very studious. And at the same time, strategic about what we do. So that means plans. And as a matter of fact, three weeks ago, we were in Prescott, Arizona, and some Bible school friends, we invited them to go with us. We went down to the UPS store, and there we signed our wills. Say, this is our goal. That, it looks a little different in Germany. That's part of the reason we did this. In Germany, in a joint marriage, everybody, the male and the female, they both wear, uh, wear, they own 50% of whatever they have. And if one spouse dies, she owns 50% of that, but the children automatically own 50% of the spouse that has died. So if mom or dad goes down first, automatically they have 25% of the entire amount. And if mom does not have enough or dad does not have enough money to cash them out, in Germany then the court forces them to sell the family home so that the kids are paid. And so I've told my children straight up, if you force your mother to sell the home that you were born and raised in, I will come out of the grave and I will choke you. <laughs> and that's just not a Hollywood threat, uh, Halloween threat. That's, that is a real threat. So therefore, we went and made sure that that will was not going to be determined by a German court, but that we could have legacy. I want her protected. You're going to get it all anyway. Just wait. Because here's what we know about inheritance. You don't take it with you. The old pastor adage, uh, you don't see a hearse going down the road with a U-Haul on the back. Now, this is radical because they have no clue what it is. What had the Egyptians taught them about going into eternity? You take it with you. You need to have all your stuff to be able to get to the other side. So we build great big monuments and then we store all of our good stuff, our gold, and we take everything with us. That's what they were taught. By the way, have you noticed that all the Egyptian uh, monuments, they're missing noses? Has it ever come? Well, that is the reason. They said we're trying to get to the other side, so we're living, kind of a zombie state, but we're living and we're trying to get to the other side. So if you break in and you steal our stuff that we need to get to the other side, we'll put a curse on you. Of course, you know that King Tut's curse and all that goes along with it. So if you're a grave robber and you want the stuff, 
How are you going to get it? There's somebody that's a living dead that's in there that's going to put a curse on me. So the grave robber said, how do you kill somebody already dead? You have to asphyxiate them. So they have now concluded that all the grave robbers and centuries past got in. And what they did is they would break off the nose. You break off the nose of a dead person, they can't breathe anymore. So you can kill the dead. Odd. So Jesus comes along with a whole new story and say, don't even have to worry about it because you're not taking it anyway. So if we prioritize the wrong things, Jesus doesn't say, good, game winner. Get as much Monopoly money as you can, put as many little greenhouses on it, and then finally move to the big red hotel. See if you can get as money, much money as you have your, what is it, the little dog, the top hat, and as you move around the board, get as much. And that's the, how you win the game. Jesus said, that's not how you win the game. Those are the wrong rules. Don't do that. Then I would like you to look at another one. And that's going to be in Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Now, while you're turning there, I'll tell you the story of a strange phone call I received one evening. The phone rang, picked it up, and it was the local old folks home. They said, could you possibly come? There's a lady that's not expected to live through the night. And we've tried to contact a Lutheran and a Catholic priest to come and nobody will come. But somebody on staff said that you've got the reputation of caring for people. Would you come and just be with this man? With the son? I said, I'll be there. So I went and stood with this man. The man's name was Herr Nike. N-I-K-E. Like the shoes. And his story went like this. He was the only one in the room. His mother was already unconscious. She was quite old. He was already somewhere in his 60s. I'm in my late 40s, early 50s. And it didn't take long before he began just telling his story. And he said, I'm here by myself. I have a wife and I have a, a daughter, but they're not here and they don't want to be around me. So it was just me and him. And he went on to say... I'm a businessman, and I came up with a way to be able to make cardboard. And during this cardboard then uh, venture, as I'm leaning heavily into it, I have to work 60 to 70, 80 hours a week to get this off, off the ground. So my little daughter would come in on Sundays, our day off, and she would jump on the bed and say, Daddy, Daddy, it's Sunday. Let's go play. And I, I told her, you have to go away. Daddy is tired. Let Daddy get some rest. So he said, I sent my daughter away. But then as she went on uh, and grew up, then the business took off. And so then I bought her a pony to keep her amused, sent her and her mother off on vacations by themselves. I didn't go with them. And he said, I actually taught my own family how to, to do life without me. And now when I need them, they're not here because I taught them not to be around me. And tears are streaming down his face at this point. I'm a perfect stranger. He reaches over to his mother, who's got that death rattle down deep in her chest, and he shakes her and just cries out, Mom, Mom, would you just wake up once and tell me you love me? Brokenhearted. That's when he turned to me and said, My life was a complete waste. That is Luke chapter 12. It's not just a story, not a parable, not a, let me tell you, tell me this fable. 
this is real life, where somebody says, everything that I've done and reached out for was a complete waste. And so for, from Jesus' lips and from Herr Nikki's lips, what is really our priority? What should we be leaning heavily into and doing intentionally in our lives? And that's where Matthew chapter 6 also comes to key. Now we're looking at verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That last verse is probably one that you should underline and star, circle, make sure that it stands out. Back in the 70s, for those of us that were old enough to remember, there was a political party that started doing certain things within Washington that they would had hired the wrong people to try and get at their political opponents. And as Watergate began to roll out, we know that one of the inside parties met with a journalist in a parking garage, and it was there that he, he just gave these words, follow the money. If you can track where the money's been and what it, where it's gone, you can see who was involved. You can see what the intention was. Those are very, very important words, not just for a political agenda. Jesus has said here, follow the money. Your money will always tell you what your priorities are. And women, I think, get this faster than men do. Bravo for the women. Um, women, will, women know that love is um, eternal, and at the same time, it has a, has a short, short shelf life. She'll say things like, uh, you haven't told me you love me recently. And, of course, the man goes, but I told you the day we got married. And if it ever changes, I'll tell you. And until then, we're good. That doesn't work because it has a short shelf life. And it has to be renewed and kept up to date. Jesus says if we follow actually the money, we can follow the, the thermometer of our heart. We can gauge actually where the temperature of our relationships are. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. And they're not difficult to keep. That's when we know when they start to get burdensome and uh, so that's when you know we're kind of off center. If you love, we'll do this. So this is where it starts to get nitty gritty. This is for those that are going actually into my stage of life or if you're saying, okay, what is the next stage? These are going to be some things to have to consider. Since we're not taking it with us, where are we going to intentionally leave a legacy? And we have been blessed. This is going to be more uh, information than we ever share publicly anywhere. We're pretty private people, and if you would just be the fly in the wall in our car, you would notice that there are times that four or five hours, we don't say one word. We're driving. No, we're not angry. We're not mad at one another. We're just very, very introverted, both of us. My job is not quite, doesn't allow that very much, so we do what we do. Um, what does this look like for me? I've been wrestling with these verses. What 
is my priority in life? Is it just be, get more, eat, drink, and be happy and enjoy your family and rinse and repeat next day? Or is it going to be something more intentional? What does it mean when it says lay up treasures in heaven? And so we've come to this conclusion because we've been blessed, even though we opted out of Social Security long, long ago. We have no further uh, Social Security or any kind of that. So we had to prepare for ourselves and we've been blessed. But in 2019, I actually looked at the numbers and realized that we were paying for investment opportunities. We were paying an interest on credits to get into that. We were paying $700 a month, just interest. The average interest paid by Americans, average American is paying $8,500 a year. We were that average person. When you combine student loans, mortgages, credit card interest, et cetera, et cetera, it all comes to about $8,500 a year. And I'm certainly not going to ridicule or embarrass anybody. I'm just Dave Ramsey throwing out numbers and say, consider when Jesus says, these are the priorities, what should that look like in our lives? I came to the conclusion of this. If I'm already giving somebody $8,400 a year, I've already proven to myself I can live without that. So if we can pay those off, and by the way, we did. Even more embarrassing to even admit that. But we paid all that. We don't have those mortgages. And, and so now with the income and knowing that I can pay $8,400 a year, that didn't hurt us before. Why should it hurt us now? Then I began thinking, what would be the next step? So I've got this dream that I've been following for about a year and a half. This year specifically leaning heavily into. If we can in a, some country find a location and either buy an existing piece of real estate or we can build and then put tenants in there, have a property manager over the top of it. They put in tenants. They take care of everything, fixing water faucets. Nobody else has to touch anything. Then the rent that comes out of it can be given straight to a church planter perpetually. We don't have to touch it. And then the consumables that are done every month are completely supplied by this real estate. So that has been our goal now for the money, money well beyond our tithe that we're giving that in that five figure area to give it. We've done this now for three years set aside, ready to go for investment. And even since I've been on this trip, we've talked about it. And in Ivory Coast, we're looking at a piece of property and they've told us that we could put up a fourplex including land and building $30,000. And with that money, then we can then fund a Ivorian to plant a church coming out of seminary perpetually, past our demise. That is my dream. I don't know if I can make this work, but I'm going to be do, doing a feasibility study probably this year yet. Going and see if we can acquire that, and can we set it up where it's rock solid and watertight so they can't be defrauded and that they can't overcharge us and the money's gone. So we're trying to set, that's kind of our dream at this point. That's the legacy that we're trying to look at. So when we talk about faith promise missions, this is not theoretical, 
theoretical in any sense. We're not saying, please do something that we won't do. This is something that we're leaning heavily into. This is our retirement funds. But even there, God's given us the opportunity and ability to do it. I would venture to say some of you could say, I'm not in that position now. But what would happen if I would eliminate extra credit and loans? What would that interest look like if it was actually put to kingdom use? If you're already giving it to a loan company now anyway, just reassign that check to somebody else. I told that story 10 days ago on a Wednesday at a breakfast. A man said, I would like to meet with you. Tell me about your dreams. Well, you just, you just opened the water gate on that one. So I just kind of spewed out. Not a good word to use when you're at breakfast. I understand. But I just, just I'm over bubbling with this. And that was here in Kansas City, Big Biscuit. On, where is that? Berry Road, thank you. And he went home. He was pretty excited about it. He wrote me back an email at before sunset on Wednesday, 10 days ago. I'm so excited, Keith. I think that that's absolutely brilliant for something that could have longevity, if we can get this set up. And I thought it was so exciting, I reached out to a friend that I know in corporate world. He thought it was so exciting that he has now committed whatever you give, he'll double. So before that day was on the first day I ever told it anywhere publicly, laid it out, our gift of X amount was doubled, 2X. But he says, and now I want to share it with two more, and I think, I th I think we can do this three or four times. You just don't know what God is going to do if you'll step out and intentionally say, I will follow you. I'll figure it out. I don't know how this is. And you say, but the danger is we might not have enough. That's the faith component of this. You can't take it with you. But you do know there's only one thing that you can take with you to heaven. Souls. The only thing we can take are people. It's the only thing that has lasting consequence. My favorite story of all people is William Borden. How many of you know William Borden? Then two of you will just say, uh-huh, that's right, it's a refresher. William Borden is the heir to the Borden Milk Company. And back at the turn of the 20th century, he's growing up in his family, and at high school graduation, his family is going to give him a, a gift to honor that hard work, and they send him on a round-the-world trip. And as he comes through China, he sees the brokenness and he sees the need. And it was there that he took out his Bible, realizing that God is now calling him to fill the gap in China. And he, he writes two words on the back of the flyleaf of his Bible, no reservations. I'm going to push all in, whatever that might look like. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to hold anything back. So he returns to America and begins his theological training, and all the Ivy League schools are after him. So he finally decides one and completes that. And at the end of that time, then all the corporations in America think he comes from a great family. They've built a good business. He's got training. Let's, so they sent headhunters after him. We'll offer you incredible contracts to come work for our company. 
But it was there that he took, opened his flyleaf, his Bible, and he wrote two more words. Under no reservations, he wrote the words, no return. I committed to do this. I'm going to stay on that. I'm going to keep up. I don't care how big the offers are. So he secured a boat to go, actually, to go to Cairo to do his studies in Arabic. He gets there, and during his studies, he, he comes down probably with a mosquito bite and contracts a virus and gets very, very sick. And that kind of goes downhill quickly. So the doctors that are treating him write to his parents and say, if you want to see your son while he's still alive, you better come quickly. So they board a ship from New York and they go to Cairo. When they deboard, they have to wait until they get, where is he? And en route, actually, to see their son, William dies. And of course, heartbroken, they now have to take his goods and his deeds. This promising young man, all that he could have possibly been in life in his heart. And it was there that they found his Bible on the nightstand. And as they went through it, in the back on the flyleaf, he had writ written two more words. Under no reservations and no returns, he had written two more words. No regrets. I want you to be able to stand at the end of your life and say, no regrets. What we do for Christ, no reservation, push in. And yes, there's going to be pain in that. That will be revising our minds all the time. Yes, it will make us feel uncomfortable. No returns. We're not going to go back to that. But to be able to say, I'm taking Marian with me to heaven. I'm not taking him, but I will see him there. And it's being able to say the Hamades and the Kumars of life. I'll tell you the story of Kumar. This man is pretty amazing. He's from Afghanistan, of all places. If that doesn't hit your radar, you know, of course, just the debacle that we've had and the, and the issues and the pain and the suffering, you see. This man was there, and he came to Germany. I asked, why, Kumars, did you come here? And he said, because we were sitting in our walled backyard and the Taliban got up on the roof and they shot my father in the head. So he said, I knew I couldn't stay here. So I took my wife and my child and we started heading out. She's expecting. And they cross by foot into Turkey and from there they catch a boat across the Mediterranean and through a storm they finally arrive. His wife is very, very ill. And so as he's uh, there, they say, where's the doctor? They go to the doctor. And one lady says, uh, she's not feeling well. Have you ever considered prayer? Just ask the question. No, I'm an atheist. Of course I won't pray. Well, you might want to consider that. Now that his wife is unbearable pain, it ends up being she's got breast cancer. With this little child, she's trying to nurse and can't even go there to think of all that that must mean emotionally and the difficulty she's got. By the way, I heard all of this in court because he asked me to accompany them as they're going to, the judge is going to ask him about his asylum. And he's laying this out. That's, he said, that's the reason I ran. I'm an, I'm an atheist in Afghanistan. The Taliban cannot 
cannot even fathom atheism. So he said, I ran for my life. He said, but there my wife is sick, and I began praying. We all come to that stage where we say, I don't know what the answer's got to be, and I'm just hoping. I'll take the risk that possibly there is some deity that I can speak to. So he began praying, and her pain went away, and they were allowed to come to Germany. And it was there that they did the operations, and, and she survived. Mary is uh, now the pride, proud mother of two children. They're both healthy. But he was telling the story. The judge asked him, why should we not send you back to Afghanistan? He said, your honor, you can. But Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 says this, and he began to quote scripture to the German judge. Go you therefore and preach to all nations, Acts 1, and baptize these that may have been made into disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, that is a command of our Savior. So if you send me back, I will go to Afghanistan and I will have to obey him and I will tell others about Jesus Christ. It was at that point that I've never, ever seen any document series where that's happened, but the judge actually reached under his desk and pulled out a Bible. He opened it to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19, 20. He read it aloud, and he said to the entire courtroom, he said, the man spoke the absolute truth. That is exactly what it says. And based on the fact that he says he will follow Jesus Christ, he said, we approve his asylum. He will certainly face death if he goes back. So QMARS is the man that runs for our migration services. Uh, He runs all the computers and the sound system. He's there faithfully. As a matter of fact, if we ever have a job at home, that's the uh, person that Debbie says, he works harder probably than anybody else. Go call QMARS and have him come over and help us. That's the power of the gospel. An atheist will say, I have nowhere else to turn. Let's give this a try. And then his eyes begin to open to say, if he can heal my wife, there must be something behind this. Let's discover who that is. And that is why we invest, because there are countless uh, Kumars and Miaris around the world that have never heard of Jesus Christ. And their lives are forever impacted. So I'm asking you to find some kind of a way to alter the way that we're doing. It's not about eat, drink, be merry, and then we'd pass away. It's about what can we do to lay up treasures in heaven that will be eternal, eternally impactful in somebody's life. No reservations, no returns, no regrets. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we've been stretched today as we even talk brass tacks about what that might look like and the discomfort that we have of even being torn by what society tells us we need and we must have and where we need to go, what we need to celebrate. But today, we look at what is eternal and what has significance. And we do not want to be at the end of our lives the person that says, I regret having invested in that. It's so temporary. Give us things that are eternal. We hear your word. We hear your spirit today. Guide us. And for some of us, that may even be revising what we thought would be best 
help us to be able to be involved here at this church, sending missionaries for some even to go to be the next William Borden. Bless your word today, and may we have a great celebration this evening as we see what your spirit has done in through us frail, undeserving people. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.